All right, guys, we got a cold open question from listener Chris today. He asked, if you could have Satan possess one part of your body for a couple of days, which body part would it be and why? Hmm. Well, first, I like that the question is phrased, if I could have, as if it's a benefit to me to have Satan possess a part of my body. Um, but I would be boring and probably pick like something where you could do it could do i don't know if satan's a guy minimal damage uh so like my wrist elbow head not head but shoulders knees and toes <laughs> any of that probably would be okay how did we not see that coming God <laughs> yeah I, I guess the question actually says if you had to let satan do it so he's like standing there and he's pointing at a chart mm. you know like you're in health class and it's like mm -hmm. all right what about the fibula huh so you're going with wrist, and then you went with a bunch of other body parts, John. I don't know if you know, you only had to pick one. Well, I'm just saying any minimal damage one, but wrist. I'm going to stick with wrist because that's what came to mind first. Mm, okay. Well, you're just going to have your wrist trying to cut itself during the entire uh, possession, I think. But that's the thing. The wrist has no control over the fingers. All I could do is I can wave like a floppy hand wave. <laughs> You know, I thought about it, and I'm going to pull an audible because before we started this podcast, you guys said, no, Garrett, you don't get to talk about the Snyder Cut. But you know what I would do? I would let Mephisto, Satan, the devil himself, possess my sweet, silvery tongue so we could talk about the Snyder Cut. Because did you guys know that the DC Justice League Snyder Cut just launched yesterday on HBO Max? Now, as a longtime comics fan and someone who has actually been very forgiving of the DC movies, I can say I have not seen this movie yet because it is four fucking hours long. And I'm sorry, unless you got hobbits or a goddamn dragon, there's no reason for your movie to be four hours long. I once had to sit through a five and a half hour version of Dances with Motherfucking Wolves. I will never do that shit again. <laughs> hobbits only. Satan, I rebuke you. <laughs> Satan, be gone from my sight. Why have you possessed Garrett to talk about that trash of Snyder Cut? We don't want it here. You're rebuked. I also heard it was in 4-3. It is. What? So you're watching a four-hour made-for-TV movie. Oh, my God. Yeah, he actually filmed, He filmed. Um, I think, parts of it or all of it in uh, the 4-3 aspect ratio. Again, it might work. It seems a very odd choice considering the rest of the film was not done. It was in 16-9. But um, <clears throat> no, I haven't seen the Snyder Cut. I do actually plan on watching it because I didn't watch the original Justice League movie when it came out. So I'm going to give this one a shot. I do not hold out a lot of hope. And... For four hours, yo, you better be like, you better be taking Shazam to the next level because woof, this better be, this better be good. Anyway, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but Garrett, are, are you ready for my Justice League hot take? Go for it. Everyone be sitting down. It was fine. <laughs> okay. People make it sound like that was the worst thing that has ever been put to film. But uh, you know what? It was fine. It wasn't four hours long. So point one to Josh Weeding. It's not Josh. It's Joss. O-S-S. Okay, I don't want to make fun of the dude's name, but I'm going to stick with my original pronunciation. <laughs> uh, that's fair. I don't, I'm not here in his corner or anything. I just know that you've said Josh Whedon before, so I'm correcting you for your sake. Yeah. Not his. <laughs> I appreciate that. I want to be accurate uh, in my pronunciation. I just don't think I'm physically capable of saying Joss. You just did. Did Satan got your tongue, John? Satan did it. <laughs> in, in all honesty, though, I would let um, the devil possess my tongue if I had to let him possess anything, because you know that dude could be a smooth talker. 
You better believe I'm going to be up to my elbows in free gummy bears. I'm going to get all the dopest rooms at the casinos. And you know what? I'm going to I'm going to go to a uh, an arcade and get a free game. I'm just saying. Okay. Well, my answer is the exact same as Garrett, but I don't think that Satan would just allow you to have a good time. I don't think that's how it, the possession would work, right? So uh, I'm taking it just a slightly different angle. I'm not here to eat gummy bears. And uh, I'm going to just kind of cite the other side of it. The light side has this thing called being possessed, not possessed, but the Holy Spirit will come upon a Christian person and it allows them to speak in lost dead languages that you can't understand, but they all glorify God. So what does that look like on the other side of the aisle, fellas? Getting possessed by the devil's tongue, the serpent's speak. I don't know what we could call it. I think I like the serpent's speak, unless you can think of something better. But I think this would all culminate in some sort of talking in tongues, serpent speak movie. And I think that'd be fun. So Yeah, I- it's called Offspring Lyrics, dude. <laughs> oh, God. oh uh, that fucking band. Well, there's our answers, Chris, uh, and a bunch about the DC Snyder cut. I'm sure that's what you wanted when you asked the question. Devil's got my tongue. Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark, again joined with Garrett and John. Fellas, how are we doing this evening? Pretty, pretty good. How can I top that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I'm, I'm right there with John. Pretty, <laughs> pretty good. Okay, you're, we're going to have to start paying Larry David if you guys <laughs> keep talking like that. I'm just saying. What have y'all been up to since last time? Um, Let's see. I watched a couple of movies. I'm not going to go through all of them. Um... But I, I will mention two. One, uh, I watched Books of Blood. It's on Hulu. It's an anthology film of three kind of interconnected stories. Uh, that was it was decent. It was better than I expected for being a Hulu movie. Check that one out if you have Hulu. And then I watched The Devil's Candy. Um, I think that's also on Hulu. Uh, and I liked that one. That was really an enjoyable movie. What is it about? Is it about drugs? That's about chocolate-covered gummy bears. No. And it's by the guy who did The Loved Ones. It's the film after that. Uh, Was it Sean Byron or Byrne Byron? I don't know. I'm so bad with names, as Mark pointed out. But it is about a... uh, I'll just read the letterbox summary so I don't spoil it. A struggling painter is possessed by satanic forces after after he and his young family move into their dream home in rural Texas. I object to the idea that there is a dream home in rural Texas. Oh. There's nothing out there. This is what happens with people who don't live in Texas pick rural Texas. It's uh, Williamson County uh, is quote unquote rural Texas. Oh, it's just a suburb then. <laughs> yeah, it's a suburb. And they had Williamson County sheriff cars that look literally nothing like the sheriff cars of Williamson County. I don't know where they filmed it. I should have looked it up, but I can tell you where they didn't film it. Williamson County. <laughs> you guys, it's called artistic choice. Good point. And uh, I'm sorry, was that a recommend or a stay away? No, that's a recommend. That one was actually legitimately pretty good. Cool. All right. 
Garrett, you got anything for us? Yeah, I've got a few things. Don't bring up Snyder again. You already got it out of the way. I'm not going to talk about <laughs> Snyder, all right? I don't give two shits about Snyder. Honestly, I, I you know, I am going to talk about Snyder. It is ridiculous that they let him do a cut. Just the movie came out, move the fuck on. Anyway, um, I watched a movie, a trailer for a movie called The Unholy, which I believe, John, I, I referred you to that trailer. It's about someone who gets touched by the power of God and becomes like a miracle worker, but there's like this really twisted side to it. Um, it's produced by Sam Raimi. That looks really cool. So that's coming out. So if you haven't checked out the trailer for that, the unholy, uh, that looks pretty dope. And then also uh, just a reminder to our listeners, because this will probably be coming out right around the time Kong versus Godzilla is coming. We will be doing an episode on it. So if you have not placed your bets of who is right and who is wrong, um, it's not a hard bet. The uh, the odds are leaning heavily in the uh, the great ape's favor, mm. but uh, that's coming. So brace yourselves; we will have hot takes. What bookie are you going to giving you those odds? He's trying to steal your money, Garrett. Good bookies. I, I also Funko Pop ruined apparently a big part of this movie. So if you're in the Funko Pop universe, uh, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. You can go look it up, but uh, yeah, they fucked up. Uh, okay. That, uh, that uh, we'll just leave that there. I bet I know what it is, though. Anyway, uh, I haven't seen any movies lately because I have been thumbs deep into the latest Ghosts and Goblins game that came out on the Switch. I've probably put at least 10 to 15 hours into this game so far, and I have yet to clear level two. <laughs> now, let me tell you about this game. I didn't think they could make a game harder than the original three trilogy, talking about Ghosts and Goblins NES, Ghouls and Ghosts Sega Genesis, and the one that we did a YouTube video on, Super Ghouls and Ghosts, but boy howdy, they somehow figured out a way to make this even more frustratingly difficult. When I started playing it, I was actually having a pretty good time with it. Died about 70 times, I was like, well, this is par for the course. And then I finally beat level one after about five to six hours, and it just keeps getting harder. And it got to the point where I was getting so frustrated because the thing about video games is it's usually got a pattern involved, right? You play it enough, you bang your head against the pattern, you learn the game, right? I've beaten Cuphead. Cuphead's one of the hardest 2D platformers I've played in a long time. This one's harder than that. And the reason is, is that the enemies that you fight, there's too many enemies and they don't have patterns that you can learn because they all do about nine different patterns and the game will give you exactly a millisecond to figure out which pattern the enemy's doing. And again, one hit, you lose the armor, you're in your underpants, and then you're dead. So I even had to knock down the difficulty a few notches, and I'm still getting my ass handed to me. Oh my gosh, I am in love and hate with this game at the same time. I just don't know if I have it in me to keep going, but I may drop it down to the easiest difficulty possible just so I can get through the game, learn what to expect, and then slowly work my way back up. So just have that in mind if you decide to check that game out. It's 30 bucks on the Switch, out now. All right, right on. Uh, yeah, that sounds terrible. Not a game I would not enjoy. I remember when we did that YouTube video, I couldn't even make it past like the first bad guy. So I think I would not do well if the game is harder than that. That sounds pretty rowdy, actually. Yeah, and just to see if I was being a, a, a putz and not very good, I went back and played the original three guys. I made it to level three to five on every single one within 20 minutes. Wow. I'm not inaccurate when I'm telling you this game is somehow harder than those. 
All right. Well, unless you guys got anything else, let's get into today's movie, which is 1999's Idle Hands. I, up until people started asking us to do this one, which again was a recommendation from listener Chris, I hadn't heard of this movie before. Did you guys seen this one when it came out originally? I, I mean, if you look at the cover, it does not look like anything interesting in the least. It's one of the boringest covers I've ever seen. It looks like one of those like road trip movies with uh, Tom Green or something like that. Don't you badmouth road trip. <laughs> Look, I'm not badmouthing. I'm just saying the cover is pretty damn boring. I didn't even, if I saw it on the shelf, which I probably did because I used to work at a Hollywood video around the early 2000s, I probably saw it and didn't think anything of it. I didn't know it would have been a horror movie, horror slash comedy or whatever you want to call this. Well, that's where we differ, Mark, because I did see this movie when it came out and 19-year-old Garrett was all about this film. This had everything I wanted and more. Now, in retrospect... Wolf, this is really 90s, but I still love this movie. It's so good. But yeah, no, I actually watched this one when it came out. I actually own it. I own a copy on DVD. John's got all the Resident Evil, so, you know, we can't hold that against you. That's true. On Blu-ray. Uh, so it's a recent purchase. <laughs> I had heard of this movie back in the day. I don't I had never seen it. It was not on my agenda of things to watch until this time. So this is I the first time I've seen this movie is in 2021. And I, I got I'm not gonna lie, I struggled. I struggled to get through it. I think I would have liked it in 1999, because it would have definitely been it's definitely of the time, but now I feel like that humor has not aged well, or I've aged out of it. That's also a possibility. Cause whew, this was a tough one. I felt it's one of those movies where I thought I'd be like, all right, I'm like, got to be almost done. And I'm like, I'd only watch, I don't know, 20 minutes. This movie has everything, dude. It has, let's just get this out of the way. It's got Jessica Alba, hands down, hottest lady of that time. Fight me. Um, it's got a lot of punk music. We've got a rancid song in the soundtrack, which how often do we get that? Like fucking never. Um, we get a bunch of like punk people cameos. We've got some really good um, practical effects. This movie actually like hits on all cylinders for me. And, you know, yes, it's very 90s. And there's some stuff that I mean, there's an OJ joke mm -hmm. at one point. And I was <laughs> like, oh, yeah, this is definitely late 90s. But overall, I thought this held up. Yeah, the gore effects were good. That was the best part. Once that hand started wiling out. All right. That was cool. You know what this movie reminds me of, especially near the end where whatever i won't spoil it for the well you'll we'll get to it in two hours but at the end when they're fighting over that lever what because maybe because it also had fred willard is how high it's just like a ridiculous pop movie i loved how high back in the day so i probably would have loved this movie but watching it now as an old cranky man uh <laughs> mm. i came at this with nothing i got, when we were watching it i had no idea what was going to happen i didn't look anything up idle hands i was like what does that mean i don't know and then it just turned out that the writers of this movie watched Evil Dead 2 and saw that part where Ash's hand got possessed and he chopped it off with the chainsaw and then chased him around the cabin for 10 minutes. They were like, what if that, but the whole movie? And I think let's put in some comedy and weed and then we've got this movie. Um, I didn't mind it. I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was bad. It was entertaining enough. I got through the film and uh, I was like, all right, you know, I've seen a lot worse than this. This is fine. Um, it does feel a little dated, but not too bad. I think we've seen some other 90s movies that really just scream way back when, you know. 
Uh, but it was also nice seeing all of these people that would go on to do bigger things in these earlier roles. So that was cool. I'd agree with that. Well, you're wrong about the Evil Dead thing, Mark, because this movie was the writers going, yo, you know who's a dope character? The Thing from Adam's Family. What if Cheech and Chong got mixed up with that dude and they just went buck wild? That's my take on it. I don't know if they, I don't know which way they went with it, but um, yeah, no, it, it definitely, it was definitely a, um, I don't want to call it a gimmick, but it was definitely a, 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 a premise of a plot point, And then they built a the movie around that, but I thought it worked really well. I obviously like this movie way more than you guys, because from start to finish, this movie's entertaining. Right. And ultimately that's what I say too. Like I, I was entertained. It was a little stupid at times, but some of the jokes were just kind of like, Oh, right. We're still allowed to kind of think this way. Right. And part of what I had an issue with this movie, and I'll just get this out of the way right now is the entire character of Jessica Alba. She has Nothing to do in this movie but be the damsel in distress and look hot. You shut your mouth. She's in a band. She's obviously a dope-ass bass player slash songwriter. She drives a sick little moped motorcycle. She um, is hot as hell. She answers her door in, like, low-cut PJs. She, after fucking... Oh, and we're gonna... I'm gonna spoil this. I don't care, John. After, like, 15 minutes of hanging out with a dude who's being super creepy, she's got a pet name for him. How is she not the perfect woman at the age of 19? You guys are just wrong about this. Look, <laughs> look, dude. All I'm saying is the damsel in distress uh, trope doesn't work all that well in 2021. And I know, yes, it was made back then. Um, but I just like, they gave her literally nothing to do. Yes, they wrote, oh, cool. She's on a moped and she's got a lyric book. Neat and everything. But that really doesn't come into play in the movie. You know what I mean? It's like, I just wanted her to have something more to do. I mean, you're You're right. This movie does not pass the Bechtel test at all. Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere even close. But the point is, it definitely was very late 90s and it embraces that to a degree where, and I thought that was actually pretty good because it it's almost so entrenched in late 90s, which for good reason, it was made in the late 90s, but it does none of it seems out of place. And I don't know. Yeah, there's definitely some humor that, that age is a little bit different the older we get. And I can see your point. She definitely was very much a damsel in distress character. But, you know, she had potential to be a badass. Yeah, and let her do it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, if we remake Idle Hands, give her more to do. Or whoever plays the uh, Alba character. Oh, they definitely would. This one was directed by Rodman Flinder. Which sounds like a made-up name, dude. It does. That sounds like a totally... <laughs> sounds like an Alan Smithy name straight out the gate. We had to look it up to make sure it wasn't. Yeah, you know what? I went and looked up his IMDb, and he's done a mixture of horror and romantic comedies and television. And just in 2019, he made a zombie romance comedy. So he's still up to this shtick 20 years later. The man knows what the people likes. Well, he really is into zombies. Yeah, I forget. What was that one called? It's called... It's like Eat pray brains or something like that eat brains pray or i don't know but it was it's definitely like a yeah romantic uh, comedy zombie movie eat brains love you were close there it is but he also directed like episodes of the office um like he's done quite a bit of stuff and i will point out that uh, we noticed that he also directed an episode of arliss for anyone who remembers that fucking show oh yeah that hbo hit uh okay this one stars devin sawa as anton tobias seth green as mick Eldon Henson as Nub, Jessica Alba as Molly, Vivica A. Fox as Debbie LeCure, Christopher Hart as The Hand, Jack Noseworthy as Randy, Katie Wright as Tanya, 
Fred Willard is dad Tobias. Connie Ray is mom Tobias. And you know most of these actors. Like if you've if you've watched movies and TV, you're you're very familiar with a lot of these people. As Mark said, you know, a lot of these people went on to like be like pretty famous. I mean, Devin Sawa, I don't know what he's been up to lately, but he was huge in the late 90s. Seth Green, everyone knows. Um, Jessica Alba had her run. Vivica A. Fox, I mean, geez, man, she still is awesome as hell. But I was actually, I was surprised. I totally forgot that um, Jack Noseworthy was in this. And um, you may remember him from Event Horizon or MTV's Dead at 21. He was in that. That dude is always awesome. I love when he shows up in movies. Oh, yeah. He's the one that got shot out of the airlock in Event Horizon, right? Damn right. Uh, also, the uh, Eldon Henson. He would go on to be foggy in Daredevil. Uh, first time I saw him was in The Mighty Ducks. He was one of the Bruiser Brothers or whatever those guys were called. Yeah. Fuck you. I totally did not even realize that was Foggy. And you know what? I just watched Mighty Ducks not too long ago and it's like, oh, that's Foggy Nelson. That's awesome. I didn't even put together that it was the same dude. That's even cooler. I like to think this is Foggy before he became a lawyer. <laughs> Ooh. He's been undead in the Daredevil <laughs> series the whole time. That's it. Very good makeup is how he's passing by. Yeah. If anything, we can say about the acting in this movie it was all well done i didn't have any issues with the acting i'd agree yeah all right well here's what the back of the vhs box has to say about idle hands the devil will find work for idle hands to do but what happens when he chooses the laziest teen slacker in the world to do his dirty work Anton Tobias is a channel-surfing, junk-food-munching, couch-potato burnout who can't control the murderous impulses of his recently possessed hand. With the help of his zombified buddies, Seth Green from Austin Powers, The the Spy Who Shagged Me, and Eldon Henson from The Mighty... The Mighty what? Boosh? (laughs) They did not... They they skipped the word ducks? I think so. I think they skipped ducks. (laughs) Poor Eldon. Couldn't even get his full movie in there. They put the whole Austin Power title, and they were like, sorry, Eldon, we're out of room for the word ducks. Oh, my God, you're <laughs> right. They did list the entire Austin Powers subtitle. Yeah, they did. You're right. Um, Anton's got to stop the rampaging devil appendage before it takes total control of his life and ruins any chance he has with class hottie Molly. Vivica A. Fox and Jack Noseworthy co-star in this wickedly funny horror comedy. Well, other than screwing up poor uh, Foggy's uh, uh, movie, that wasn't too bad. That's a pretty decent back of the box. Is Anton really the laziest teenager in the world? I mean, he didn't really seem that bad. Put a pin in that. I have something to say about that. Let's get through the rest of the deets and then we'll get there. Okay. Okay. So this one has a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes with the critics. Can you believe it? Yes. That seems way (laughs) too low. 15% is way too low. Audience, 58% of the people that saw it liked it. So I think that's okay. Yeah. I mean, this movie, critics-wise, had two strikes, right? Critics suck at rating comedies and critics suck at rating horror. So it had no chance with critics. I totally get that. Yeah. We'll explain this one. The budget was 25 million bucks and it made a whopping 4.2 million. Ouch. That's that's rough. To be fair, I don't remember this movie being advertised much at all. So maybe it had a garbage marketing budget. I think that had a lot to do with it. I don't remember seeing it at all. Like I said, I didn't even know what it was until someone brought it up 20 years later. I'm like, what is Idle Hands? Is that some sort of like romantic comedy thing? Were y'all watching TLC in 1999 uh, or MTV in general? I bet uh, or you know, uh, MTV 
probably had a lot of ads for this. This is where it would go. And it's not TLC, it's TRL. I don't obviously remember the name of that show 25 or 20 years later. Uh, <laughs> uh, TLC, the learning channel. Yeah. Were y'all watching TRL or MTV? I bet that's where this was at was advertised. That's fair. I was not watching TRL in the mid to late 90s. They'd already turned it into something other than music videos, or at least the music was on the way out of that channel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe it's because they uh, they didn't use the right title, because in the US, it was called Idle Hands. But in Argentina and Mexico, it was known as El Diablo Mateo La Mano, hmm. and also Die Killer Hand in Germany. So, <laughs> you know, I feel like if they had just changed the title a little bit, we might have had a better thing here. I think you're right. Idle Hands is a little too bland. Like, you don't know what it is. It's clever, though. It actually is a really clever title for, like, the premise of this film. So I, I'm actually okay with the, the Idle Hands title. But, yeah, I don't remember seeing much about this film. All I know is that it had Seth Green and Jessica Alba, and I was like, I'm there. Like, I don't care what this movie is. But I also do that with actors. Like, if I see, like, Vincent D'Onofrio in something, I'm like, I'll go pay money to see this. I don't care what it is. Well, was Seth Green a known quantity at this point? Mm-hmm. Oh, hell yes. Well, look, he was in Airborne. I knew him from that roller skate movie, you know, with Jack Black. I love that movie. It sucks. Go watch it. It's fun. But other than that, I, what was he doing at the at this point? Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. Yes. Oh, you're, you're right. It's on the box. I literally read it with my mouth. Devil possessed me and made me forget. Yes. And he was also in Can't Hardly Wait, which was a huge teen hit back when we were like, you know, late teens. Okay. I skipped that one too, just so you know. Oh, that's actually a really good one. That's kind of like a, a John Hughes-esque movie from the 90s. Gotcha. Okay. He was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, yeah. The movie or the show? The show. Well, John, let's get this out of the way. Does this soundtrack slap? Yes, it does, guys. My name is John. The soundtrack slapped the fuck out of everything. <laughs> well, all right. Let's let's dial it back. I don't know about slapping the fuck out of everything. I would never say that. Uh, that's not on the slaps or doesn't slap rating. Uh, <laughs> but yes, this soundtrack does slap. I did enjoy that. Um, it's not normally my type of music, but it was fine. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's good to get music that I was listening to back then. You know, we had the Vandals, Unwritten Law, The Living End. I had completely forgot about that Australian band that had the stand-up bass and did the rockabilly stuff. But uh, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, those guys were cool. There is one thing in the soundtrack that I don't care for. Um, I, I don't know if I should spoil it or save it to the I'll save it to the end. But yeah, no, this soundtrack was actually really great. It was like late 90s, like kind of like alternative, like pop punk and like legitimate punk rock and stuff like that. So it was it was pretty awesome. Oh, I did get tired of getting shouted at the devil so many fucking times. Every time they got in the dude's truck, Noseworthy's truck, I was like, oh, please turn that off. This song sucks. <laughs> yeah, but that was his thing, though. He was supposed to be all about, like, you know, like, devil music. So that was kind of their on-the-nose nod to that. But I, I don't know. I thought it kind of worked because it was almost like this this goofy theme music that came on forever whenever his character was supposed to be present. Yeah, it's it was fine. I was just like, oh, stop playing it, please. Thanks. But I get it. It was good for the movie. All right. How does this one kick off? We've got uh, Mr. and Mrs. Tobias going to sleep for the evening. Uh, while they're laying down, they start hearing some rattling and banging downstairs. And they're like, go check on it, right? Well, they see that note that says, uh, I'm under the bed or whatever. And uh, and Fred looks and doesn't see anything. And then, then they hear all, yeah, all the sounds. And they're like, oh, the dog's outside. So that must be the cat. But they're not really convinced. They're just trying to justify their weird sounds. 
And then Fred goes and investigates the noises. We hear like a, a struggle and some screaming. Uh, then his wife goes and to to see what happened. And she like, uh, does she slip on his blood? I think she slips on his blood. Yeah, she does. And she gets murdered as well. And that's the end of Fred Willard and wife. Yeah, the parents, the parents get taken out real quick. And when you say note, let's uh, let's point out in a typical late 90s thing. It's in um, it's written in a, a blue blacklight ink on the ceiling. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, you can't get away from late 90s and not get a good blacklight shot in a horror movie. Right. And we find out that Anton, their son, played by Devin Sawa, lives in the attic. So since we just talked about all the attics of Sinister, what do you guys, you guys want to live in an attic? You guys want to be a burner, uh, a stoner burnout and live up in the attic with Devin? <laughs> I won't even put my head in our attic. I'm so terrified of it. No, I'm not going to live in the attic. <laughs> this goes back to my Sinister comment of, I don't have an attic. I have a crawl space. I don't want to live up there because it's freezing in the wintertime and 7 million degrees in the summertime. Uh, that is a terrible place to live. Yeah. It wasn't in a thing in the 90s. It was like people, their, their kids were always living in the attic or the basement, mm-hmm. right? That seemed more common back then than it is now. Yeah, I don't know. Well, because I think it was like their their own space. I mean, I think that was a big like that's that the kids can make that their own space and kind of have some some form of independence. But um, I don't think we actually got that luxury in Texas. So Mm-mm. definitely not. No, I forgot the movie opens on the house on the exterior of the house. And there's like tons and tons of Halloween decorations along with like life size deer and other things. And they're just like, this is too busy. What is happening here? And inside the house, they have two full-size scarecrows with pumpkin heads. They The mother makes a comment when she goes down and like, oh, I told you to put these out and, and blows out the candles and gets murdered there. Yeah. And in the meantime, she's trying to get her son who's in the attic. I guess he can just pull the ladder up and then he's free from his parents. I My parents would never allow me to not have access <laughs> or no access to me or what I'm doing. You know, that wasn't a luxury provided <laughs> poor old Mark in Texas in the 90s. No way. <laughs> you, you always had access to a parental ass whooping, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's like, this door better not be locked or I'm going to get the ruler. <laughs> no, it was, she's not. My parents weren't nuns, but you get the idea. <laughs> the age of these people is indeterminate. I mean, I guess they go to school because a school dance is a big part of it. But you never see them at school, far as I remember. They never talk about school. They never, I mean, their parents are completely absent. In fact, we find out that Anton's parents are gone for a week before he notices that they're missing. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. Yeah, the movie the movie is pretty inconsistent about like showing us that they are high school kids. I mean, they, they, they refer to different high school events and stuff like that. But yeah, they don't, the movie doesn't do a great job of actually showing you that that is part of their, their routine. It does show us that Anton's super lazy though, according to the film. Yeah, because he wakes up and he doesn't find his parents. And instead of in any way being concerned, he's like, well, all right, well, I'm just going to blaze up. And he... He starts smoking weed, which I have to say, that is a boldness I would I could not understand. He didn't even check the house. He just called for them from his kitchen. And when there was no response, he just assumed they were gone and in his living room started smoking weed. I, I respect the audacity. <laughs> well, he also does that thing in movies that, that drives me crazy because if I had done this backhand, um, he goes and gets the milk, tries to pour the milk into his cereal and he's out of milk and he's like, mom, we're out of milk and just yells it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if I did that, my parents would be like, well, then fuck you. Go to the store. <laughs> like, 
go get some milk or yep. what the fuck do you want me to do about it? Like there was never any like I could just yell when we're out of things and expect it to be handled, <laughs> <laughs> which it baffles me in movies. When he's like, he's like, mom, the dog's out of food. And it's like, yo, <laughs> like that does not fly most of the time. My parents would have been like, if you keep yelling, you're going to get the ruler again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, shit like that. Like you don't. I think what we're dealing with is a problem with parenting. With Mark's sexy nun parents. <laughs> we get it, dude. Ah, damn you for putting that image <laughs> in my head. You're the worst. <laughs> I, I'm just going to go on a general movie rant, and I don't know who pointed this out, but now I can never stop thinking about it. I think I saw it on, I'm just going to say the vague internet, but people in movies don't realize that their milk cartons are empty until they go to pour them, because apparently they don't know what the weight of a full milk carton is like. Yeah, that's never happened. You know a milk carton's empty. As soon as you pick it up, you know if it's empty. Yeah, that's you're right. Somebody's putting these milk cartons in empty. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're not throwing them away. It's like, well, that's empty. That's the next guy's problem. <laughs> also, real dick move. Yeah, there's only three people in that house. Anton and his parents. Oh, it's got to be Fred Willard who's putting back the empty milk carton. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So he goes about his day. Uh, he, in, in, like John said, seven days lapse. He runs out of weed and he's like, I'm going to go call up my buddy, Seth Green and whatever their names are. Mick and Nub. Gives him a call. He's like, hey, I'm all out of weed. And they're like, all right. So, and he's like, could you bring me a Nick bag? And I was like, dude. And at first I didn't know none of these characters are established yet. Right. I thought he was calling his dealer. And I was like, He's calling his dealer to ask him to bring a nickel bag. Yeah, that's what he was doing. You know what? He's getting out of bed for a nickel bag. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what, dude. That's what he literally did. He was like, "Can you bring me a nick?" And it was like, he was like, "No, I'm comfortable." And it's like, it, he totally did that. Yeah, the, the the audacity of this pothead to think that this would go down in his favor. <laughs> <laughs> We're establishing that he's apparently the laziest teenager in the universe. Yeah, well, he does use a back scratcher on his crotch and he's on the back of his head. So they really hammered home that he is just all about that like hedonistic lifestyle. <laughs> but yeah, no. So he he asked that and they're like, no, dude, you come get it from me. He's like, OK, fine. So he gets up, leaves the house and starts walking down the uh, the walkway, sees his neighbor. No pants, mind you. Yeah, and his boxers. He's wearing like, uh, it's like a hoodie, a t-shirt, and his boxers. Classic Garrett attire. We get it. <laughs> um, so <laughs> he sees his neighbor. Uh, what's the neighbor? Randy. The guy with the truck blasting shout at the devil. Yeah, shout at the devil. He's working on his truck, and he's like, yo, what's up, Anton? And he's like, hey, what's up, Randy? And then it continues to walk across the street. So you realize that his dealer's house, aka his friend's house, is literally across the street, pointing out even more so how lazy this character is, that he wouldn't even walk across the street initially to get what he wanted. Climbs in through the window, which is another thing that happens in movies. I never climbed in through windows into my friend's houses. We just used the doors like human beings. Yeah. No, but it was like, it started with Clarissa explains it all. Oh, it- and then we had it in Mall Rats, and now we have it in this. Yeah, it was just a thing back then. It's like, who's doing that? If my friend crawled in through my window, I'd hit him with a ruler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mark, did you just become a sexy nun? <laughs> <laughs> just become? I got changed while you guys were talking. <laughs> That's how he records every podcast. Oh, yeah. Gets him in the mood. Which sexy character will I be next week? Tune in to find out. <laughs> it's. I mean, this isn't a Clarister Explains It All podcast, though maybe it should be. But she was like 12 and her parents just let kids come in through her window. My, I, 
I mean, lots of bad parenting going on, and Clarissa explains it all. Well, yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the windows were definitely used for things. Like, I snuck out of my window on the second story to leave my house a couple times. Um, so, I mean, I have no doubt that windows were used, but never as the main source of entrance and exiting of a, of a house. I mean, you know, if there's a door, you're going to use that first. But yeah, no, movies, movies love to really show us that, that kind of like getting around using the door aspect of it. Yeah, I had a, I had my own sliding glass door to my room. How about that? Really? Whoa. Uh-huh. Damn. la di da <laughs> That came in useful in high school. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, so he climbs into his friend's uh, room, which is in the, another basement. He climbs to the window. Um, I will point out that his buddy, uh, Nub, has a dope Prodigy poster. I actually have that Prodigy poster in my room. Uh, so shout outs to Nub and his 19-year-old room, which I still live as. Yeah, you know what? I saw that poster and I was like, this is why Garrett likes this movie. I knew it. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> no, actually, it is a great poster, but no, that's not the only reason. But so he gets in there and he's all like, hey, you know, let me get some of that weed. And he's like, I don't have anything. And he's like, what? You told me to come over. I was, ho- you were holding. He's like, but I didn't say what. And then grabs his nuts, AKA he was holding his nuts. <laughs> get it? Humor. <laughs> I will point this out. You have this great interaction between McNubb and Anton. Um, and this is one thing I want to compliment the movie on. This is probably the truest, most accurate, like late teen boy interaction dialogue that I've heard from a movie almost ever. Um, it seems kind of dumb at times, but the the pacing, the the way they talked, the interplay between them was like the most spot on I've ever seen in a teen movie. So really kudos to them for writing some great like, you know, dialogue that kind of just went back and forth with the banter. But um, yeah, so he realizes his friend doesn't have anything. He has to leave. He goes back home. Well, they tell him to mix oregano and nutmeg and smoke that. And I remember in the when I was in high school and even in the college, people really thought smoking nutmeg would fuck you up. I guess that's what happened before Google. We all just believed random bullshit. <laughs> um, so when I saw that, it like brought up a, a buried memory. And I was like, oh, shit. I remember hearing about that. That nutmeg was like some sort of super drug. And it'd fucking drive you crazy. Uh, so that was a real thing that was going around uh, at the time. They wouldn't sell that at the grocery aisle if it would <laughs> fuck you up to that degree. And secondly, I guess nobody's listening to Offspring's The Ixnay on the Ombre anymore because there's a song called Mota where he gets tricked and he has a baggie of oregano on his hand. So right there, I don't know what this kid was thinking. <laughs> well, was that album out at the time, though, Mark? Was that a cautionary tale of the time or was that a, a direct repercussion of this movie's actions? No, it was out. I promise because it came out in like 1997 okay. or 8 and I bought that album along with Live's Secret Somdi album at the same store in the mall. I loved the Ixnay and the Ombre and thought the Live album was terrible. And by the way, I mean the band Live, not a live album. <laughs> um yeah so oh also when he's still downstairs uh you hear um a motorcycle approaching and then everyone kind of comments on how uh anton has had a huge thing for uh jessica alba's character molly and he's like you know no she's a great songwriter you guys just don't get it so we we establish the fact that he's got a huge thing for this character and they're going to kind of give him the business about it but yeah he goes home um after learning that they don't have anything, which, of course, they were lying about. They totally had weed. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes home to, uh, I guess, smoke. Right. Is it this point where he picks up the the binder or is that later? I think he sees her riding by and she drops her lyric book 
right? And he's like, oh, there's your in. You can go talk to the girl now and and be as awkward as fucking <laughs> humanly possible to her <laughs> in the same time. So let's talk about this for a little bit. This relationship, right? Uh, Antoine. Anton, not Antoine Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> Anton lives across the street from Jessica Alba's character, Molly. I'm going to say that they've probably lived across the street from each other for many years at this point. So are we to assume that Anton has been gawking and being weird towards Molly for years, long enough for her to develop her own weird backwards crush on the creepy kid across the street? Because later on, she is just totally okay with him grabbing her ass and making the moves. And it's like, the first time they've ever interacted beyond awkward moments that they go and get into bed together. And I'm like, no movie. I don't think I can accept that on the writing. John, I've, I've got the answer to this one. Fuck yes. (laughs) So yes, this movie is so awkward with the relationship. Yeah. Now did Anton have a telescope? Because I feel like he's the kind of person... He must have. <laughs> or a pair of binoculars under his bed. Binoc- yeah. Something like that. I'm about to say, he's he's full on creeping, as Mark said, with the binoculars. Definitely. That was the one thing about this movie that I did have a problem with more than anything is because we get the, the most awkward meet cute right before he heads home. He goes to drop off this book. He walks up. He's still in his boxers and his, his you know, I don't give a fuck, get up. And she's like, oh, Hi. You know, and he's like, here, you drop this or something like that. And he, she tries to talk to him. No, he barely says, I don't think he says anything. He just shoves the book into her hand and runs away. Yeah, yeah he wasn't even going to knock on the door. She opened the door to him, seeing him being weird with his like mouth agape being like, like <laughs> deer in a headlights. Like, oh no, she's here in front of me. Hands of the book and then ski daddles, as John would say. Yeah. He does skedaddle. Okay, let's be honest, though. If if Jessica Alba looked like that and lived next door to you and opened the door and was excited to see you and acted like super, don't tell me you'd play it fucking cool. You know you'd be just as fucking awkward as Devin Sawa was at that point. But that being said, after that awkward moment, the next interaction they have later on in the movie is, is what Mark described. Mm-hmm. It's this weird, like, almost kind of like testosterone-driven, rapey vibe where he grabs her ass out of nowhere. She's 100% into it. What does she say? Oh, I didn't think you were like that. I didn't think you'd have the confidence to do that. She's like, I'm impressed. Like, really? Yes. You're impressed? I'm impressed. <laughs> All right. Well, we have to we have to take a just a slight pause and tell the listeners that by this point, his hand is possessed. Yes. Right? Yes. It's not like he went in and just grabbed her ass and was being a creep. It's like the devil's in his hand now. He can't control it. The hand is like making him ring the doorbell incessantly over and over, and he can't get his finger off the doorbell. And then she opens the doorbell in and he's being ultra weird, trying to keep the hand from murdering her the whole time. And then, yes, he the hand grabs her ass and she's into it. And it's like... And we're talking Mr. Bean level physical comedy of his hand controlling him, like, you know, dragging him around, flipping him upside, you know, all this crazy shit. But so, yeah, he's doing that after grabbing her ass and saying, I'm impressed. They immediately go to the bed. He then has to control his hand by tying himself to the bed frame. And she goes, oh, you're kinky. Also, can we all take a moment and remember what we thought was kinky back when we were like 19? God, we were so young and naive. <laughs> um, so she and she's into it and she's into it then. But he was choking <laughs> the shit out of her. Yeah, that's. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going to kink shame anybody on this podcast. <laughs> but my point is, is yes, out of from from zero to 400, <laughs> he is gone. And she is just 100 percent like, 
Let's fucking do this. And within like, I guess what, 15 minutes, her parents come home. And I know we're, we're, we're jumping way ahead, but this was the most awkward like part for me because within 15 minutes, she's got a pet name for him. She calls him baby snakes. And I was like, first off, pet names are not established that fast ever. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Johnny Bravo. You do not have pet names come out that fast. Yeah. yeah and also baby snakes. Is that like a dig on his manhood? <laughs> yeah, I would not want that as my nickname for my crush. I think it was supposed to be like baby cakes, but like cool because it had a snake in there, you know? Mm, yeah, just wait till his buddies who are smoking the pot making fun of him find out what his pet name is. He's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, they're not going to let that fly. Yo, calm down there, big thumb. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not really your pet name. I have a better pet name for you, Mark. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I, It's probably sexy nun. Uh, just to rewind a little bit, uh, if, we, if we just go back a little bit, he... Um, he discovers his parents before this goes down, right? We know that his parents are dead, or he does. Yes. One of the, I, to me, the very best moment in the movie happens when he's in there making a sandwich and he's, he gets a knife and he starts putting the mayo and he picks up the knife that slit his dad's throat and starts wiping mayo and blood on bread. Now, first off, that blood is going to be dried. He's not going to get any of that actual. Coagulating, is that the right word? Coagulating? Mm -hmm. Coagulated. Coagulated blood going in into the bread. And come on, man, you're going to notice, right? Like, you don't pick up a dirty knife on the table and not see it's covered in a substance. Well, this movie posits that smoking oregano and nutmeg does fuck you up. Okay. So I think he was he was high on the nutmeg, dude. He was all high up on the meg, mm -hmm. and he didn't notice. Okay, side effects. So were we in episode 15 when we did the meg. <laughs> yeah. No, did you guys notice though? Yeah, so Mark, that's a great, like, I, I kind of enjoyed this scene because he makes the sandwich with a bloody knife, and as he started to eat the sandwich, he looks down and sees the blood, and he's like, oh my God, and um, kind of freaks out. He hears a noise, and then he pushes his dog. He runs up and hugs his dog like Scooby-Doo level comedy and then pushes his dog into the hallway to see what the trouble is. That scene made me laugh a lot. I thought that scene was great. He's so scared to go look around his corner. He's pushing his large dog ahead of him. And I was like, okay, that's pretty damn funny. <laughs> uh, okay, well, get ready to laugh more because I don't know if you noticed it or not, but if you're watching it on a big screen TV, you can notice that that dog has a huge fucking boner. <laughs> when, they, when he pushes him around the corner, that dog has a full red rocket. And I was like, oh, go on, buddy. I did not catch that. Me either. <laughs> I thought I was crazy so i rewound it and i was like holy shit that dog straight up has a boner crazy um but yeah no that was a really good scene because yeah he pushes the dog to kind of see what's going on he gets spooked again and he runs up into his parents bed and he lays down and he covers himself with the sheets i guess he turned the light off or that black paint is the black light paint is still active because he sees that i'm under the bed and he freaks out and he starts going oh my god the killer's in the house and i actually thought this was fucking pretty pretty smart and clever writing. Now the stoner kid is being scared by the same shit seven days later, thinking the murderer is active right now. And I was like, okay, that's pretty funny. Yeah, that was pretty good, actually. Um, so he finds his parents. They're actually in the, um, the bodies of the scarecrows with the pumpkin heads. So they fall to the ground. The pumpkins break open. You realize it's the dead parents. And holy crap, he's freaking out. He runs across the street to get his buddies because, um, well, as you as you do once you find dead bodies, brings them over, brings them in the house to show them. As they come inside, MTV's playing and uh, the video "Pop That Coochie" 
is playing on TV, Mick and Nub, uh, they're both like, oh my God, can you believe that? And you think they're talking about the dead bodies, but they're actually just excited that that video is on TV because they didn't think they could play it. But then they do realize that the parents are dead. They kind of freak out. And this is where we start to see that um, Devin Sawa's hand is actually possessed. It's like trying to do stuff. It's trying to like, you know, control him, go after his buddies. And uh, and his mother has a piece of his shirt in his hand, in her hand, or in, her, in her dead hand, a piece of the cloth from his t-shirt he's wearing right now is in her hand. Which he somehow didn't notice that a big chunk of his shirt was missing when he put it on. But I guess it's more stoner obliviousness i suppose but i feel like you would notice that well he had that shirt on when he went to bed because he woke up with that shirt on he never actually changed clothes um from when all this stuff is going on for seven days well i don't know the exact time frame of the (laughs) the this seven days but at least from that morning to when he finds the dead bodies that's the same shirt he has on so but I guess that's a good point. If they'd been gone for seven days, they would have been dead for seven days. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how often this kid does laundry. But the point being... Not enough. The friends realize, oh my God, he's the killer. And Seth Green runs to call the cops. And he's like, hey, I need help. My friend might be possessed. Devin Sowell runs up, pulls the phone cord out of the wall, and then breaks a bottle and just jams it into the front of Seth Green's head, killing him. Can I just point out the fact that I thought it was a little strange is just how fast... Anton accepted that he was the murderer. <laughs> he was just like, I guess I did do it. You know, and he's like, you guys better get away or I'm going to murder you too. It's not by choice. It's my hand. And I was like, wow, he didn't question it at all. He just went to straight to, yep, must have done it. And why didn't he remember it? Yeah, that they never explained that, his memory issues. Well, because he's a stoner, you guys. He was stoned. He didn't remember. But remember, at the beginning of this, he hasn't had pot since the night before because he's been out with the exception of whether or not nutmeg actually does get you high as john pointed out (laughs) he's technically now sober so now this stuff starts making sense now he can remember things but because he was such a a stoner pothead he couldn't remember what he did the night before that's what i think the movie's trying to posit he would have had to have been mixing a lot of substances to get to the point where you don't remember murdering your parents I mean. yeah now i would have to, i've heard from people uh you know people have said that you don't forget whole nights when you're high uh on pot uh i uh, i can't speak yeah I, I can't speak from personal experience but people have told me that does not happen Even if you smoke copious amounts of it. Okay. Well, you know what? I'll take one for the team. Uh, Yeah. You, when you're high, you don't forget that much stuff. You may forget a few things. You may forget, you may forget that Fred Willard was in idle hands, but you're not forgetting murdering four people the night before that shit you remember. And even if you're high, I'm sorry, but that's not happening. Yeah. They should have made him drunk. That would have made sense. Oh yeah. You much better chance of losing time drinking alcohol than uh, weed. And uh, as John said, I can neither confirm nor deny that to be true. Right. From what I've heard. I've never drank any alcohol in my life, and I'm not drinking any right now. If my parents are listening with their ruler. You losers. (laughs) I'm only familiar from alcohol on TV. I've never even seen it in real life. I don't want that around me. Guys, I have a question. What was he referring to when he said weed? I'm not sure. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, he accepts the fact that this is it. And I mean, I will give Devin Sawa crazy props at this point. Because, John, as you mentioned earlier, and I think, Mark, you mentioned this also, um, the acting in this... Everyone holds their weight. Everyone does a great job of pulling off their lines, making it believable. But Devin saw was physical acting that he does with his hand, like controlling him, pulling him, 
trying to like hold it back him moving his fingers mm-hmm. was fucking phenomenal that kid nailed it for such a like weirdly hard role to do because think about it you have to be on with all of that at one time and he really did it a fantastic job from start to finish with yeah, that. yeah i totally agree I totally agree, but we do need to bring up, while this is all going on, we are introduced to Vivica Fox's character, LeCure, who apparently is a druidic priestess who has been chasing down the quote-unquote idle hand, entity, devil, what have you, and she goes into a prison dressed as a nun, and there she goes and finds the inmate, and his hand is all... Wait, 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 whoa, 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 Mark. Say that again, but slower. Vivica Fox dressed as a nun... Uh, oh, wait, don't say it weird, you fucking. Oh. <laughs> Look, um, I'll hold on, audience. I'll take care of you. <laughs> so, at that point, Vivica A. Fox walks into a prison dressed as a nun. Okay, go ahead. And she goes in, and, and, and I guess that anybody in a nun outfit, like if I showed up there right now, they would just let me in, and I could go see any inmate i want to right right they'll let you in and be like here he is here's the murderer guy go have your fun nun and she sees his hand and it's all withered and dead looking and i don't know what it now that i've seen the movie that doesn't quite make any sense to me i guess the entity or the spirit demon left this guy who's in prison i guess it can just decide to leave right i think when that guy got arrested the demon was like all right well peace and the he dipped or it dipped uh, to go find a new victim because it was like, well, I'm not going to be able to murder anyone in here. This sucks. Uh, so it left. And that's eventually at some point, we never really find out how it, it possessed Anton. Uh, and yeah, that's a well-known nun privilege, uh, complete access to any prison anywhere. Uh, everyone knows that. <laughs> it's in the nun handbook. And just for the record, I'm totally directing a porno called Go Have Your Fun, Nun. From <laughs> <laughs> just look for it coming 2024 from Garrett Studios. That shit's happened. Vivica A. Fox, Jessica Alba, if you're out there and need a job, let me know. We'll keep it really tasteful. <laughs> uh, Kickstarter. Keep a lookout. Um, so she gets all pissed off and she's like, nah, it's gone. Now what? And then she goes into her trailer and she's got a map that's got all these X's over the country. And she looks at it and she backs up and goes, wait a damn minute and takes a red Sharpie and proceeds to draw a pentagram very poorly, not connecting all the dots. And I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) any shape is going to fit those dots. Lady, you just made that up yourself. You solved your own puzzle and it's not the correct answer. What are you doing? She connects a bunch of random dots. It's Washington crossing the Delaware. You're like, there it is. <laughs> I laughed at that part too. I was like, you could have made a triangle, a square, a circle, anything, a pentagram. And to your point, she didn't touch all the dots. It was a mess. But you know what? The movie had to go forward. Right. So she's on her way to, to uh, Are we? what town are we in? California or something? I don't even remember. I think we're in uh, Murderville. <laughs> Murderville. So back to um, back to Anton in the house. He kills uh, Seth Green with the bottle to the forehead. And then his buddy, uh, Nub, is downstairs in the basement. He's like, I got to get away. He's like, I'll hold him back as long as I can. His buddy starts to run up the stairs. Devin Sawa throws a, a saw blade and cuts the dude's head right off, cuts his buddy's head off. So it just starts tumbling down the, uh, the staircase. And this is the part where he just kind of accepts the fact that he did this. And just buries him in the backyard. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, he got over that real quick. I think, here's some headcanon. I think the hand can subtly influence Anton 
and people around him. That explains Jessica Alba's weird behavior. It explains how, yeah, he just goes on and buries his friends and says a little sermon for them. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say the hand has a, a aura of influence. Nah, you're wrong. <laughs> Jessica Alba just knows what the fuck she wants and she's going to get it. And you know what? Kudos to her, girl. Keep doing you. No one's going to shame you on this podcast. <laughs> so it is It is weird how the pacing kind of just like makes us kind of like accept what happens. It's like, hey, we're moving forward. You can come with us and you can stay there. Right. So one of the things that I need explaining now is why did his two friends come back as zombies and nobody else? Oh, well, they tell you why. They do? Yeah, they died and they heard this music. It was like Enya uh, and they saw a light but it was down a long hallway and they just decided not to go. Because it was really fucking far. Yeah. Yeah, they see the light at the end of the tunnel to basically ascend to heaven. They're describing like a a generalized heaven. And he's like, well, why didn't you go? And they're like, man, it was like really fucking far. We said, nah, screw it. So that is the flimsiest, flimsiest explanation that I could have heard for reasons to be zombie. But we'd have them everywhere. If it was literally like I could go that way or turn around back to my dead body and then I'm just a zombie, but I'm still on earth. We'd have them everywhere. It was funny. But I love that excuse. That was that was that fit this movie so well of like, yo, we just didn't want to be bothered. So his buddies come back. His parents obviously went to the light because why not? Fred Willard definitely seemed like he was in a loveless marriage at that point. So I'm sure he was like, yeah, death, take me now. <laughs> well, there is a lot of cons. If I mean, if you think about it, Nub's head did not get reattached. They weren't magicked out of the soil. So if you are brutally massacred and you're you're buried properly, you're just going to be in pieces in a casket for essentially eternity. Or, I mean, I guess what happens if you're cremated, that's probably a real shitty experience for you if you don't go into the light. So I think there's a strong incentive for most people to go into the light. I'm like the wind, baby. You don't think as a spirit that you could wander up and then see that your body is now in an urn first before you're like, well, I committed. Too bad for me. <laughs> I mean, they don't. I don't know. They, they are not very clear on the rules, except that I guess you can choose not to go um, because I mean, also that happens at the end of the movie. So yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of when we get to the end of the movie, I guess there is a lot of afterlife questions that we're going to have to dissect. So buckle in, audience. <laughs> Yeah, if we're getting hung up on these details, we're not going to finish for another four hours. (laughs) I didn't laugh a lot in this movie, to be honest, but there was a couple of scenes. And one was when his friends come back and Mitch pulls out some weed to smoke. And Devin or Anton goes, you lied to me. And he goes, you killed us. Let's try to keep things in perspective here. (laughs) Yes. And I definitely laughed at that part. There's there's so much good banter and one liners in this movie. Um, I again, I can't stress how well the interaction between these characters is played out. Um, But yeah, no, that line is is absolutely fantastic because he wakes up and he's like, oh, my God, you guys, I had the worst dream. I dreamed that I accidentally killed you guys. And then, of course, he's surprised to come around the corner and see that they're actually just a severed head on a couch and a bottled headed zombie watching, um, you know, MTV. And so that's when they kind of like realize, like, okay, what do we do about this? And they're like, oh, you know who knows a lot about the devil and stuff? 
Randy. So he goes to try to track down Randy. And um, I guess what he meets him at the he finds him in a fast food place, Safari fast food. Yeah, yeah. it was called the uh, the Burger Jungle, the Burger Jungle. Yeah. And um, which I, I don't know if you guys noticed, but um, Tom DeLong is one of the guys who works there from Blink-182. He's one of the uh, the employees. Yeah. So he corners um, Randy who's like having none of his bullshit. He's like, dude, just get away from me. You're cock blocking me. And so he's like, yo, help me out. I need to know about the devil. And then Randy's just kind of like, it's all bullshit. He's like, it's just loud music, man. There's nothing to it. Now, John, were you not laughing at the scene where Antoine, I keep calling him Antoine now, (laughs) Anton comes up and he's like got his hand in his robe because he's trying to keep the evil idle hand from murdering everybody. And it looks like he's jacking it in a trench coat. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that part was a little funny, (laughs) but I was too busy being uh distraught at the fact that this guy was trying to so it everyone knows i guess that nub and mitch died somehow so once again there's some inordinate amount of time gap that we they don't explain but everyone knows that they died because it's the it's tanya is really sad she's like i was so mean to them oh no 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 you you got the wrong murders john oh do i that was the two twins that got killed the couple nights before before the hand possessed him it was in somebody else murdering other people around the town and they said these two twins that worked at the burger jungle got murdered well that fixes that plot hole (laughs) uh but also he's he's trying to move in and he's like are you still in high school it's like Wrong question, dude. That's really <laughs> fucked up. Because he's like, well, I left a couple of years ago. And it's like, mm, that is not cool, dude. Even in 1999, that's not cool. Can we take the pin out of John's question at the beginning of the episode and unravel that now? The hand entity is possessing the biggest loser in town. Your honor, I present Randy. Why not Randy? <laughs> yeah, good point. He's way more of a loser. Or his two friends. They were about the same level of loserness, right? No, you're wrong. You guys, I got to jump in here because it's not about being a loser. It's about being idle. It's about not putting, it's being lethargic, not putting any effort in. So Randy, in the conversation at Burger Jungle, he's like, dude, the devil stuff has nothing to do with this. He's like, the the you know idle hands are the devil's plaything. That's why I'm always working on the truck, man. That's why, you know, like, I used to get into trouble, but now since I'm always working on the truck and doing something, you know, I'm not getting into trouble or having these kind of issues happen to me. So the reason the hand chose Anton is because he was the laziest, most do-nothing person. Now, we eventually find out because Seth Green's character is like, that's all fucking metaphorical. That's not why. But um, that is supposed to be the general premise of like why Anton was picked as opposed to someone like Randy, because the devil could be like, yo, you're not doing anything. I got this. Okay. I will accept your answer and we can move on. It's a, it's an acceptable answer. Thank you, Garrett. Mm-hmm. No problem. <laughs> so Randy basically says, hey, dude, find something to do. That's, you know, you know, idle hands of the devil's plaything. The titular title. Here we go. Anton goes home and decides to take up knitting. <laughs> so he's knitting something. I don't know what it is. But he thinks that's going to keep his hands busy, so therefore he won't be able to kill anybody or do anything at this time. He's actually a pretty good knitter. I'm going to give him that. Like, if you handed me yarn and two of the um, knitting sticks, I don't know what they're called. I probably used to, but I can't remember. Knitting needles. Knitting needles. Yeah, knit, you're so close. Knitting sticks right there. <laughs> I know, right there. That's how crafty I am. Um, if you handed me knitting needles and yarn, I couldn't knit you anything to save my life. I'd have to take my own life with the knitting needles. Yeah. I don't even know that I could get the fabric on the needle. 
That does not seem uh, intuitive. So welcome back to Knit Talk. <laughs> he runs into two cops on the way back from Burger Jungle. And they are apparently two guys that knew Anton in high school. They graduated a couple years and became cops like way too soon, I would say. And they're like, hey, you never invited us to hang out or nothing. And he's like, yeah, because you guys were dorks. And they're like, hey, fuck you. So they write him a ticket for having an empty baggie that smelled like marijuana. And they throw it on the ground and say, now you're getting a ticket for littering, asshole. Well, they come over to his house while he's busy knitting his project. He tries to buy weed from them. That's oh, yeah. how degenerate That's Anton right. is. He's like, look, I know you guys can get into the evidence locker. And they're like, are you trying to buy weed from cops? And that's what, oh, he's like, oh, well, never mind. And uh, then they keep busting his balls, like Mark said. But Anton's so degenerate, he tries to buy weed from cops. At this point, so he's hanging out with his two dead buddies. Um, the cops show up because they are investigating the missing parents or something. They, they mentioned something like that. And I'm like, how the fuck do they know? Well, no, it, what it was, Garrett, it, it was a noise complaint because they were listening to Rob Zombie's Dragula too loud. Which, to be honest, you have to listen to that song loud. It's fucking badass. But yes, go on. Yeah, so <laughs> they pull up and they're like, there's the noise complaint. And they look in the window and they're like, oh, it's that asshole Anton. Yeah, and then they bust in, and, and did he let him in, or did they just walk into his house? They walked in, because they see, they from the window, they see Mitch with the bottle in his head. I think he's just sitting there. And they see Nub with his head in his lap, and they're like, oh, shit, he's a murderer. And the other cop, they're like, oh, we don't have probable, or we can't just go in there. We don't have a warrant. And they're like, it's in the Bill of Rights. We have probable cause. And they just bust in there. Yeah, and so at this point, like um, he's like, Guys, you don't understand. And they're like, he's like, what do I do? And at this point, that's when I believe Nub goes, well, I think you should. The cop freaks out immediately, shoots the head, like just flat out, like fires a shot into the head. And he's like, well, I was going to say you should comply with the cop said, but you know, at this point, fuck him. So he's like, wait a minute, you guys, you can arrest me. You can put me in jail. I can't kill anybody if I'm in jail. So he tries to get him to arrest him. Put down the knitting needles, Anton, and come quietly. Cuff me. Put the knitting needles down now. Just cuff me. Put them down. 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 Cuff me. Cuff me. Oh, no. Put the needles down. He's like, come on and cuff me. Put the needles down. Come on and cuff me. And it's like, <laughs> all right, I kind of like it. If he would have just cuffed him, that would have been fine. But no, he makes him try to drop the needles and then he just sticks it right through his ear out the other ear, right? And that guy goes down. And then, yeah, how did the other one get it? Well, let me let me fix this problem for you. Uh, the other cop dies somehow. <laughs> so <laughs> at this point, that cop is dead also. And, and at this point, Anton's like, okay, you know what? This is, this is officially a problem. I can't keep doing this. I don't want to be responsible for murders. So he's like, I got to get rid of this hand. So they go to the kitchen and his buddies follow him and he's got his hand in like a bagel cutter. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to cut it off. And they're just like, dude, that thing won't even cut my bagels. What are you doing? He's like, I don't care. And he goes and he actually tries to cut it off and it, it bends and doesn't actually cut his hand off. And he's like, what the hell? And he's like, oh, there it is. So he points to an electric knife, which Seth Green goes and gets and picks up and like plugs in. He's like, oh, look at me. I'm Leatherface, <laughs> which I thought was this great delivery by Seth Green for this like little moment of him like waving around a little electric carving knife. 
But then he he starts walking towards Anton and it unplugs itself. So and then he finds a meat cleaver. And he's like, I'm just going to hack it the fuck off. And they're like, wait a minute. You know, like, what about your other hand? Is that going to want to get possessed? And he's like, no, no. I use that one all the time. <laughs> like, he's like, that one's a keeper. You know, what does he say? He said, the left one's a keeper. <laughs> um, and he alludes that he uses the remote and jerks off and stuff like that with his left hand. So it's not going to be possessed. So he goes to cut it off and the hand keeps moving itself. So he finally has his buddy uh, Nub bite down on his hand to hold it in place. He, I didn't know the first time I saw this movie, I did not expect this to happen. He cuts his hand off like full on. It just cuts off and you see this like gory stump and he's like, oh my God. And then they throw it in the microwave to keep it safe. His buddies are like, I'm going to go grab some first aid. And he grabs like an iron and he cauterizes the wound with an iron. He's like, what, ain't you seen the movies? You got to stop the blood flow. (laughs) And they're like, we're going to go over to our house and grab a first aid kit. Yeah. And then Anton throws the hand in a microwave and sets it to three to five minutes and just boils and bakes the shit out of it. I did laugh when that hand was moving around. He was trying to cleaver it. That was actually pretty well done. For the most part, all the comedy hits pretty fucking good. So... Um, but yeah, so he throws it in the microwave, as you said, he actually like turns it on. You get to see this amazing gory like scene of like the hand like spurting blood and being cooked inside the uh, the microwave. Jessica Alba shows up to the front door and she's banging on the front door going, it's, hey, it's time to go to the Halloween dance. And she's all dressed up like a sexy angel. And she's like, hurry up. Why are you making me wait? So he runs out to the front door looking like he just murdered a couple of people and he's got a target bag attached to his hand. (laughs) And she's like, what are you supposed to be? And he's like, uh, someone who just cut his hand off a wink. (laughs) And she's like, Oh, you, but, um, and uh, let's, let's take a moment to appreciate at the time it was not creepy, but at the time, man, that outfit, Oh, I had the biggest crush on Jessica Alba when she showed up in that outfit when I was like a kid. I was like, oh, forget it. This is it right here. But um, yeah, she shows up to, to leave. Um, he goes with her, doesn't he? He actually leaves with her. Starts to. Yeah. He, then he's like, oh, wait, my costume's not done. And he heads back. But in that in-between time, however long it was, a couple of minutes, Nub and Mitch had returned with some gas station burritos, you know, classic first aid material open the microwave and the hand just supermans out of the microwave through (laughs) the window and is now free into the world. And I love the fact that like the next line, this one, this is my favorite laugh out of the whole movie. So they're like, oh shit, that's messed up. And they're like, okay, well, let's see, two to three minutes. Okay, cool. And he goes, ooh, gross, because there's like bloody hand all over the inside of the microwave. And he's like, we should probably clean that. And then Seth Green goes, hey, yeah, and while we're at it, we can clean the whole fucking house. <laughs> the way he, and he goes, no, and he just throws the burrito in, like as it is completely disgusting. I laughed so hard when that played out. Randy and the sister, they meet up uh, earlier in the movie at a bowling alley. And she like just goes into her spiel of like, hey, I'm a priestess. I got to kill this you know, evil hand. And he goes, hey, wait a minute. My neighbor was talking about his hand being all crazy. And she's like, don't you fuck with me. And he's like, I'm not. Let's go. And, you know, he's being super like machismo kind of creepy. But she's just like, fuck it. Let's go. I really respect that Randy heard that crazy ass story and was like, all right, I'm in. You know what? You're a real fucking creeper, Randy. But props when you heard some weird shit was going down you you were on board so respect that he's committed hey you never know <laughs> so they're on the way back to the house and they're like oh shit and i i think it's uh, established in the movie that the hand is going to go after jessica alba so when the hand is free 
uh, the first place that Anton runs to is Jessica's house, and he sees like a note somewhere. I think it's on the fence where he the hand has written, "She's mine." Because the hand is looking for the most pure soul to drag into hell, I suppose for no other reason other than it's a fucked up thing to do and the hand's evil. You know, as a capitated demon hand does, Molly has gone to the dance, Devin Sawa, uh, Anton is going to chase her, and of course, you know, his buddies are going to go with him. And as they're leaving, they're going to take Randy's big truck, and he ends up, they end up like knocking out Sister LaCour and, you know, and Randy ends up like you doing mouth to mouth to resuscitate her because he's kind of into her. I kind of like the little like interplay romance that those two characters had. But um, yeah, so then we cut to the school, which is going to be our, our final destination for um, the end of this movie. And we cut to a Halloween high school dance. Yeah. And I do see uh, that Jessica Alba's dancing skills improve significantly between this movie and Sin City. Uh, so great work there. <laughs> we we see your work and we appreciate it. Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> yeah, because uh, what she's doing in this... Or Miss Alba, if you're nasty. Yeah, what she's doing in this movie is rough, but uh, but by Sin City, it's impressive. So Mark, tell us who is actually playing this high school dance. <sighs> you know, Garrett... When I first saw them playing a cover of the Ramones' I Want to Be Sedated, I didn't know who it was. And I was like, oh, did they get just some lame local band to get on stage and do a bad version of the Ramones' I Want to Be Sedated? No, they didn't. Much like another 90s movie, Clueless, they got the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones to be the band for their high school dance. We've got The Offspring. And it didn't click until, spoilers for in two minutes from now, uh, lead singer Dexter gets his scalp removed by the hand. And I was like, oh, that was that was the offspring. Okay, I got you now. They played some other songs. I was like, those sound familiar. This band knows some things. Yeah, really, did it take <laughs> you that long to figure it out? Because yeah, when, they, when I heard that cover, I was like, oh, this is the offspring. That's kind of cool. And the other song they play is uh, Beheaded, by the way. Um, pretty good offspring song also. Okay. Well, let me just tell you that the reason that I didn't recognize them is because I stopped listening to the offspring whenever they came out pretty fly for a white guy. I hate that song that ended my listening career with the offspring. So Ixnay on the Ombre for life. That was their last album. <laughs> like, I think it was Americana, right? Didn't that come out in, I don't know, 23, 24 years ago? That's a really long time to be holding a grudge, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, Mark can never get over it. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's totally the offspring. And um, so while the offspring's doing their thing, you know, Devin Sowell, I keep calling him Devin Sowell, but Anton jumps up on stage at some point after getting to the dance. His buddies go off and do some stuff. And he jumps up on stage and he's like, everybody, you got to get out of here. My hand's possessed. It's going to kill you. And of course, everyone's like, get off the stage. And you know what I'll notice in movies and also in real life? Jumping up on stage and announcing some random bullshit that has nothing to do with the band we've come to see never goes well for anyone. That has never worked out for a single soul in the existence of history. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) You're right. Science checks out. Um, Nub and Mick look like they're in really great makeup. Being zombies, they think that they did their makeup and now... Tanya's way into Nub and Nub is getting some makeout time and she's dressed up in latex red devil outfit and she now has got Nub's attention distracted from what needs to happen at hand. And speaking of hand, over in the other side of the school, we've got our principal um, who I do want to give a shout out to Timothy Stack. I hadn't seen that guy in forever. A few of you may remember a little show called Son of the Beach 
and another one called Nightstand. He was in that one. So it was really nice to see him again. I was like, oh, I completely forgot about this guy. Uh, he's the principal. He's over in his office doing phone sex. Doing phone sex. Mark, did you, <laughs> you just said doing phone sex? Oh, <laughs> what, boy. What, are you, what do you do? You listen to it? I whatever. <laughs> he, he's having phone sex, but just the, the term doing phone sex just sounds so amazing. Well, for five ninety nine in a minute, you can also do phone sex. Is that still a thing? I don't know. <laughs> Gotta be. I'm sure it is. While he's having phone sex, uh, he's talking on to the uh, to the lady on the other end. He's like, man, it's almost like I can feel you touching me. It's like, dude, there's another hand coming up your pants. There's no way you're not going to know something else is in there other than yourself. But, you know, it, it was a gag. I'll give it to it. I didn't think it landed that great. But uh, he gets murdered by the hand. I guess because he was in the hand's way, I didn't quite know why he, the hand decided to just kill the principal. I don't know. I think that was just a gag that they wanted to put in there. Or maybe they owed Timothy Stack a favor. Does the hand need a reason to kill? It's a demonic hand, dude. It just killed because it saw an opportunity. It kills on sight. It seems out of the way if you're going for one in particular, Jessica Alba dressed as an angel. That's all. What if the principal, a.k.a. Timothy Stack, was the most pure soul at that dance <laughs> until he made that phone sex call? And then the hand was like, son of a bitch, you ruined everything. Now I got to go for Jessica Alba. So, yeah, after he kills the principal, they cut back to the uh, the dance where uh, Anton's making a fool of himself on stage. Uh, Dexter from the offspring walks up and is like, get out of here, kid. Let us get back to playing these sweet, sweet late 90s jams. You stupid, dumb shit, goddamn motherfucker! And uh, the hand drops down from the ceiling and rips his scalp straight off, which was a very cool effect. Dexter, also a bad actor. Sorry, <laughs> just saying. He was, yeah, look, he wasn't hired for his acting skills. He was hired for his sweet late 90s pop punk sound. So yeah, he gets killed. At this point, everyone realizes, okay, this is not a joke. Everyone panics, starts running away. Of course, the hand's causing some mayhem. A bunch of people are dying in the mix. Tanya and uh, Molly, at this point, are like, we got to get out of here. So they end up going through an air vent, which I guess takes them to shop class. Dude, this is literally my favorite scene in the movie. So Tanya and Jessica Alba's character are crawling through the airlock. Not airlock. Or air, <laughs> air duck. And Mick and Nubber behind them by some distance. And they, there's like a, a big fan. I mean, a comically large fan. I don't think this would really exist. So uh, Jessica Alba's character stops the fan. She goes down. Tanya's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, and suffice to say, the hand comes, kills Tanya. She ends up everywhere. And... Then Mitch and uh, Nub come, and Mitch is like, I'm not going through all that Tanya. Uh, and I laughed so hard, <laughs> so hard, because the walls are just covered in blood. Yes, that was a good joke, but they ruined it with Seth Green's line on the way back out of the air duct. And he goes like, well, if you want a little piece, there it is, a wink, and then went around the corner. I was like, oh, that was too much. That went a little too far, you know what I mean? Yeah. hey <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that part was a bummer, but that, I'm not going through all this Tanya, was a grand slam of a line, and Seth Green's <laughs> delivery really sells it. So they're going to the auto parts shop, but Anton is chasing the hand, and they go through like the art room or the theater room, because at some point, the hand crawls inside of a puppet, <laughs> which, don't get me wrong, you introduce a hand puppet into a movie, I don't care what movie it is. 
Honestly, it would be totally inappropriate, but if Schindler's List had hand puppets, I'd be like, fucking genius. <laughs> so the point is, is that like they introduce a hand puppet and now Devin Sawa has to fight a hand puppet with this creepy, goofy face on it for what seems like an eternity, but I guess is only like maybe three or four minutes in the film. But oh my God, watching this dude fight a hand puppet was like the greatest moment for me. I was like, this is fantastic. It was good for a little bit. Okay, but we need to stop and set the scene. Somehow this tiny hand puppet slash severed hand has managed to bind Molly to the top of a car. In the auto shop, yes. How would this hand be able to overtake her like that demon magic oh did it knock her out did, maybe it knocked her out did it knock her out at some point and we just forgot it must have because it also drew a pentagram <laughs> yeah. it, it probably did the demon hand slapped her in the ass or grabbed her ass early in the movie and she was straight up down for it so maybe the the demon hand just walked up and just went full on and it was like here you go and she was like i'm in let's go you know, so maybe she was into it up until the point where she was bound to the top of a car about to be smashed into the ceiling. I guess this may be a good time to bring up another question I have for you. And it kind of ties back into the beginning of the episode where John said he wanted his wrist to be possessed. The hand is possessed. At what point is the possession end? The elbow, the shoulder, it's severed, but it still has like supernatural capabilities to do things that a hand alone should not be able to do. I, I'm not sure I'm following. What do you mean? Well, he cuts the hand off, but while Devin saw was fighting with the hand, I felt like at any point he could have just held his arm out at arm's length, if you will, and then the hand wouldn't be able to control and flail around as bad if he's got control of his arm and he's only lost control of his hand. Does that make sense? Yes, but it's a super strong hand, so it's able to overpower yeah. the arm. So yes, while... Anton might control his arm if your hand is like 10 times stronger it's gonna go where it wants to go yeah and you know who who's to say that the arm is just kind of there along for the ride and the hand had a better convincing argument than the rest of Anton's body like maybe like when he threw that saw blade early in the film he was like hey arm let's just chop this fucker's head off and the arm was like yeah I got nothing else to do let's go for it <laughs> I mean the the science of possessed possessed hand not possessed but possessed hands is very complicated and we could aug spend like maybe two hours discussing and really breaking down what goes into possessing a hand or as John mentioned earlier a a wrist or an elbow but I don't think we really want to go down that path just yet I mean especially this late in the podcast but you know maybe we'll do a quickie where we actually just talk about you know what is the exact science of a possessed body part I'd also like a physicist. We need to get a physicist to tell us if this is also capable too. So we'll get we'll get uh we'll get an exorcist, a physicist, and a scientist. We'll get all the ists in here. We can get a botanist to describe weed and find out if nutmeg can actually get us high. I feel like a botanist <laughs> would be able to answer this for us. We are hedging our bets. We are going to have a scientific podcast soon. I feel it. Straight up format change. Look for it coming soon from the Grave Talk podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, so Jessica Alba is, I keep calling it, but Molly is tied to the top of a car and the, uh, the I don't know what it's called, but the, uh, the lift that the car's on is being lifted up to the ceiling and it's going to basically crush her. So she's going to be crushed between a car and the ceiling with a pentagram drawn on the top. It's a like a hydraulic lift. Yes, yeah, a hydraulic lift. Perfect. Thank you. So as this is going on, uh, Anton is fighting the hand puppet, the evil hand puppet. Um, Mick and Nub are there kind of like, what do we do? How can we help? And looking around, they find a giant bong made out of car parts. Uh, they call it Mighty Joe Bong. And they decide to get high because Nub goes, I needs me spinach. 
nice little Popeye reference for all the 40-year-olds out there. Hey, I got it. I liked it. Thank you for that Popeye <laughs> reference. <laughs> and so uh, Devin Sow, I mean, Anton um, is like, he totally leaves fighting the hand puppet for a second, goes and smokes the, uh, the bong, takes a big old hit off of it, and then goes and blows it up inside the bottom of the hand puppet, which was very awkward to see, but I, when he's getting high, Jessica Alba's like, what? You're getting high with your friends now? And Anton goes, it's for my strength. And I, I did laugh at that part as well. Yeah, that, that was definitely well played out. So he gets the puppet high. At this point, the puppet gets super stoned. The hand gets super stoned. So it's got very little strength all of a sudden. Um, so at this point, the, the hydraulic lift stops and it stops just enough to where Jessica Alba's breasts are just smashed against the ceiling. So we get that glorious image and we get to hold on that for a minute. So I know that doesn't sound super non-pervy, but man, what a great shot. Um, so anyway, oh, it's important to note that in the the struggle, of course, Jessica Alba's clothes get ripped off, so she's just in her bra and panties right now. I didn't want to say it, but yeah, she totally gets like bikini level, like naked in this scene. So you know, kudos to you filmmakers. Sorry to you, Jessica, if it you know was a problem, but fantastic scene. So um, at this point, the hand now not pulling the lever down. Molly's not going to get smashed. The hand lunges across the room to attack, um, I guess, is it Anton or is it Mick? It's going for Mitch or Mick or I keep, I've been calling him Mitch. So if it's Mick, sorry, podcaster or listeners, uh, just replace Mitch with Mick. Yeah, it's Mick. Mick and Nub. Whoops. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it jumps towards Mick. And as it's in the air about to grab Mick, um, in comes Sister LaCour with Randy, and she throws this ceremonial dagger across the room. And right before it gets to Mick, it gets stabbed into his chest by the uh, the dagger. I, I think I have a problem with this ending. I, th- I thought it was a little bit lazy to get the hand high. I don't know. I felt like we could have done something a little better than that. But I'm not a writer, so maybe I would have written this this way too. <laughs> I, I do agree. I Mark, what about this movie? makes you think that they were going to do something a little bit better. This, to me, that ending was exactly what, like, the the caliber I expected. <laughs> also, Seth Green did have a good joke where he was like, That's it? That's it? No explosions? No hellfire? No... I mean, no, I'm glad everybody's all right, but yeah, that was weak. Because, like, they expected it to explode or something fancy, but it just gets stabbed and dies. Uh, so, you know, they, they, uh, mentioned the elephant, uh, when it gets stabbed, it actually gets stabbed into Seth Green's chest and it's like stuck there and it starts wiggling around and you think something huge is going to happen and it just goes into like thin air. Yeah. He's totally like, he's like, that's so anticlimactic. Um, and then, so sister liqueur is like, my work here is done now time for the ritualistic sex. And she just takes Randy and they're going to go bone zone straight up. And I mean, you know what? Randy got a pretty sweet deal out of this whole thing. I'd agree to that, yeah. Especially considering he's a creeper and he ends up with Vivica Fox. Uh, <laughs> that's a pretty happy ending for my dude. Randy, Randy's fallen up in life. So <laughs> after Randy leaves, uh, they get uh, Molly down and they uh, Molly and Anton start making out underneath the car. Um, and they're really going at it. And I was like, dude, this looks unsafe, but I totally get it. And then Nub gets knocked into the handle and uh, the car drops and crushes Anton. And he's like, that is not my fault. That should have come down much slower. <laughs> Which was a great line. That was actually a really good line. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and then we see the like a door open up and it's a big giant white light like it's the it's the gate to heaven more or less has opened up again because now right um anton's character has just been killed so everyone has the opportunity to walk into heaven at this point right so we see mick and and nub decide to do it they go but it cuts and then it we it fades back in and uh anton is in the hospital getting fed pudding by molly and he decided to not go to heaven to hang out with jessica alba and i a hundred percent understand his decision yep no question Uh, there's no question there heaven (laughs) or jessica alba in that dress you know what live a terrible life as an old man who's decrepit and broken worth it totally get it um so yeah as he's getting fed pudding and this is actually my biggest problem with the movie right here um a white light poofs into existence and then uh mick and nub show up and they've got little angel wings so he's like oh my god you guys you came back and they're like no we're your guardian angels but as they poof into existence the music that's playing is sublime and I got to say, if Sublime is the music of heaven, I'm going to go to hell straight up. I can't deal with it. I could not listen to Sublime that much. I'm going to go on record and say that Sublime is some of the worst music that's ever been produced. Whoa. I hate Sublime. I don't know if I'd go that far, but <laughs> damn. I'm with Garrett. We're going to hell. If, if, if it's just 40 <laughs> ounces of freedom up there, you can keep it. I'm going to party and listen to fucking shout at the devil <laughs> like down, down underground. I also do want to point out that what I was taught as a kid to become uh, an, an angel or go to heaven, those rules are way too strict. My sexy parents that are nuns, they did not teach me right. I could have been smoking pot this whole time and living a life of laziness and still get into heaven. Well, yeah, Seth Green's like, yeah, we were we were lazy, but we're not bad people because uh, uh, Anton was just as surprised as you, Mark, that they were allowed into heaven. <laughs> There's a lot of people keeping themselves from having fun in the name of the Lord. And, and apparently it's not true. Guys, you can go out and have a good time. In Idle Hands verse. Let's point out that uh, Anton killed a bunch of people. Now, granted, he had a possessed hand, but he still killed a bunch of people. And that gate still opened right up for him to go to heaven. So, I mean, obviously you can just show up and you're in. <laughs> I mean, there's no there's no background check. There's no like, you must be this tall to ride this ride. It's just like, hey, did you die? Sure, get in this. In these universes, I don't think God would hold you responsible for what possessed you does. That seems like a real dick move. <laughs> uh, maybe Old Testament God, but New Testament God seems a little more chill. I think he would let Anton in. Yeah, we need fresh rules. I think Job <laughs> might have something to say about this. Yeah, that's Old Testament God. That was angry God. He chilled out. <laughs> he invented weed in between the Testaments and real got m- mad mellow. That's my theological world. He found weed in Sublime and totally chilled out. <laughs> exactly. This may be a little controversial, but I think Christianity's due for its third wave. You know, like Ska, they've had the Old Testament, the New Testament. We're ready for that that new tone, that third wave. Religion. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Yeah, postmodern testament. There you go. All right. Well, that's that movie. I would recommend it. I don't think it's bad. I think it's fun. It's entertaining. There's some good jokes. There's some dated stuff that you got to get get past. But it was a good time. I would recommend people check it out. Yeah. I, I mean, I watched it after work, so maybe I wasn't in the right mindset. Talking about it with y'all made me realize I did find more of it funny than I originally thought. So 
uh, I mean, I'm not going to say it's a great movie, but I'd also recommend it. it. It is funny. There's some funny scenes. Seth Green is hilarious. I think he's very funny. I love, you know, pretty much, well, I wouldn't say everything he's in because he's been in some real fucking stinkers. But Austin Powers, he was great there. He was, you know, Robot Chicken was, uh, love that shit. So, and he's great in this movie. So it's worth watching. Yeah, it's definitely a recommend for me too. I mean, there's not much about this that I don't really enjoy to some level. I mean, to be fair, on the last episode, I talked about my love for the Police Academy movies, so my bar just set super fucking low. But um, overall, this one's fun. It's a tight 130, so you're not going to be sitting there for too long. The jokes are good. Uh, the characters... I Honestly, I, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to just point out how great all the actors and actresses were in this movie. And granted, to your point, Mark, you know, Jessica Alba didn't have a, a really deep character to play, but everyone just nailed it. Agreed. So three recommendations for us. Go check it out. Have you seen the movie? Why don't you tell us what you think about it on our social media? We've got an Instagram, a Twitter, a MySpace, a Live Journal, a Blog Face. Uh, I'm making up a lot of these. You may have to just go to the regular ones you're familiar with, like Facebook. Uh, let us know what you think. Do you have any recommendations? Do you have any cold opens? Why don't you let us know? We're happy to hear from you guys. And head over to iTunes. Give us a rating. Anything helps. We prefer if you like us. But uh, if you don't, tell us why. We'll take it. We're, we're grown adults. Speak for yourself, Mark. <laughs> Except for Garrett with his Prodigy poster on the wall. <laughs> I also want to add, for the fo- for those of you who have taken time to email us or DM us on Twitter, Instagram, or whatever, uh, we do read all of these, and, and I think we've responded to all of them. And uh, and thank you. It's been it's pretty awesome. I think I can speak for all of us. Say it's great to hear from our listeners. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Let us know. We we appreciate the the kind comments that you guys are sending us. We even got fans over in Sweden today, and uh, uh, we got a we got a message, a very nice message from a Johan over there. Yeah, or Johan. Sorry, we really appreciate hearing from you guys. So keep it coming. The worldwide baby. That's right, international. <laughs> uh, you know, it keeps us wanting to come back to the microphones and talk about movies and and Jessica Albas and whatnots. But next time, the gloves are going on. We're going nine rounds. If I'm not mistaken, it's finally time for our Godzilla versus Kong. Is that right, Garrett? Yes. After this movie, after this episode comes out, our next episode will be the Kong versus Godzilla film. So it'll be out, I believe, a week after uh, the movie releases. So if you guys can, if you make it this far in the podcast, and we'll probably put a tweet out about this too, but if you guys can, try to avoid all spoilers. You know, like, I mean, granted, we're going to know some stuff, but try not to go onto our social media and start, you know, spoiling anything for us because. We will be watching it, but we won't be getting to it immediately upon release. So that being said, next episode, Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah, don't go out there and tell everybody that Godzilla wins. We want Garrett to find it out naturally um, so he can ease into it, get in the right man mindset for the loss, and then uh, you know accept the fate that a giant monkey is not as cool as an atomic lizard. Your lizard's going down, you sexy nun. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're going to have to watch, you know, get like a 24-hour watch on Mark after this movie comes out and Godzilla is just defeated. I, I don't know. I'm worried about your mental health after this, Mark. So hang in there is all I'm saying. Okay. I hope it doesn't come to that. But uh, if you guys have any phone numbers, I need to call for support. <laughs> yeah. So look forward to that. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, unless you guys have anything else, this sexy nun hose that I'm wearing right now is starting to chafe. So we're going to call it. Uh, everybody, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>